0: Uh, I'm going to say, no one's better than me. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Tuesday, March 24th episode of Locked on Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs. Senior NFL Draft Analyst at thedraftnetwork.com. Managing Editor of USA Today's Dolphinswire.com. Diehard Dolphins fan. And I, for one, I don't know about you, but I was paying extra special close attention to Instagram last night. Of all the things I could possibly lead this show with talking about Instagram. Because Tua Tunga Viola dropped a video or a series of videos on his personal Instagram account showing him throwing and working through footwork drills. And that hip of his looked pretty good. I'm going to be completely honest. Uh, My degree, uh, my bachelor's degree is in exercise science and movement sciences from Penn State University. I have absolutely zero context as to whether or not The drills that he's doing, the movements that he's doing, what that is indicative of as it pertains to his long-term prognosis, and of course, unless you have medical scans, it will be impossible to predict what his long-term outlook is. But for a guy who dislocated his hip in November, mid-November at that to be doing footwork drills and passing drills in end of mid-March is impressive, it's promising, and it certainly has the attention of Dolphins fans everywhere. And that is, of course, part of the strategy here for for Tua, right? Is Tua and his camp have to take back the narrative because the narratives around Tua at this point are rooted in durability questions and being fragile and not being reliable to be a long-term piece to an NFL team's future. Because if you can't rely on him to stay healthy, then he's not worth the pick. And if he's not worth the pick, then you start to see the slide. And if he slides, it, it gets really, really messy. So from Tua's perspective, it makes sense to start putting out this positive vibe. And it's it's very clear that he's about as good as you could possibly hope to be from a recovery timetable. The fact that he's doing pass drops and footwork drills and resetting and throwing, it looks great. I'm not qualified to tell you that this means the Dolphins should right now call up the Washington Redskins and trade up to two, or that they should be knocking down the Detroit Lions' door to trade up to three. I don't know. I can't say that because it, it, without the medical component of it, it's a total shot in the dark. And that is the risk that any team is going to run with Tua, depending on what medical information becomes available between now and the draft, which is now just 30 days away. Which, I mean, that's great news for everyone involved. That's It's very exciting that there's some sports on the horizon that we can look forward to. One of the only people it might not be good for is Tua. Uh, I know Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post insinuated yesterday that Tua will have the opportunity to send uh, updated scans of his surgically repaired hip to NFL teams between now and the draft. And if that is the case, then that is Tua's ability to stake his flag in the ground and say, I am on my way to a complete not just medical recovery, but also football recovery. Continue to drop the videos and, and continue to show what he's doing from a work perspective and help control that narrative and create this this positivity around him as a player. If he does that, then the Dolphins are, are back in business as far as considering Tua to be their number one draft pick in this year's monumental NFL draft. But we're not going to talk about Tua specifically all day today. We will talk about him a little bit, but we are here to talk about Power to the Pod. We're back on our regularly scheduled programming. Free agency last week got us off schedule. It got us out of routine. Um, So we did Power to the Pod episode three on Friday last week. So a quick turnaround but you guys still brought it. We still got 20, 20-something questions uh, as far as talking points after the first week in free agency, what you guys want to know. And that's exactly what we're going to tackle today is, is we're going to work through these and, and discuss what the the big hurdles are remaining for the Dolphins, some some scheme and philosophical stuff that needs to be tackled and addressed. And I'll also need to talk about a potential domino that could negatively impact the Miami Dolphins draft plans. And that is what we are going to talk about first before getting to the power to the pod, but not before this brief pause for sponsor identification. So keep it locked in right here on locked on dolphins. We'll be right back after this brief message.
1: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Welcome back, Dolphins fans. And I gotta be honest with you. If the Dolphins want another upgrade to the interior offensive line, the urgency in which they are going to have to utilize to get it done uh, just got turned up another notch because the Dallas Cowboys learned yesterday that center Travis Frederick was retiring at 29 years old. And that may seem like, on the surface, a pretty inconsequential transaction or decision for the Miami Dolphins. That is, of course, until you remember and realize that the Miami Dolphins pick 18th with their second first-round pick, and the team who picks 17th is the Dallas Cowboys. And if the Cowboys determine the Frederick's loss is big enough for them to invest in the interior offensive line early in the 2020 NFL draft, the only player that is a viable consideration for a top 20 pick is Michigan center Cesar Ruiz. And if the Dallas Cowboys pluck him at 17, that's bad for Miami because Ruiz has guard center capabilities, in my opinion, And would be a great pick for the Dolphins. Even if it's at 18. Is that positional value a little rich? Yes, it is. But if you want a plug-and-play starter on your interior offensive line, out of the 2020 NFL Draft class, you've got about four options. Cesar Ruiz is the best of the bunch. And now he may be a potential domino at 17 to the Dallas Cowboys. Now, here's the silver lining here. If that actually happens, then that means we are back to the New York Jets and the Atlanta Falcons being the big hurdles between the Miami Dolphins and pass rusher Caleb on chase on. My running comp for chase on is Judevon Clowney, who reportedly, according to Aaron Wilson of the Houston Chronicle, uh, turned down a contract offer from the Miami Dolphins at the start of free agency that would have been uh, in the ballpark of 17 million per season. Uh, Clowney's been on social media from what I've seen, and he's disputing that claim. So it's really hard to say for certain whether or not that's fact, but the dolphins, this would not have been the first time the dolphins came sniffing around Clowney. They were interested in trading for him in August, uh, but Clowney did not sign his franchise tender to get traded To the Dolphins. So we may never know the truth, but that's okay. Uh, They've got Shaq Lawson and Emmanuel Agba for approximately the same price as what it would have cost or what it was reported the Dolphins were interested in paying for Clowney. So we'll move on. But this Dallas Cowboys situation, this is another big need for the Dallas Cowboys. This is a big domino for us to watch as we are prepping in this final month before the 2020 NFL Draft. So power to the pod. Episode four, your questions, our show, let's get it done. Uh, Question from Gareth Mellon. If we are moving to a power style offensive line, can either Michael Dieter or Jesse Davis play in a power style offensive line? Uh, I think Dieter has the physical capability of doing so. Uh, Dieter coming out of Wisconsin, this was a line that with Jonathan Daler, punched dudes in the mouth in the Big Ten, which is like the blue-collar, three-yards-in-a-cloud-of-dust style uh, conference of the Power Five conferences. Dieter had success at the point of attack. He struggled from a mental perspective this past year, from a technique perspective, and from, I think he was a little bit of the victim of the surroundings around him. Uh, but with that said, with what the Dolphins have done this far in free agency and what the Dolphins are are hoping to do uh, with overhauling the offensive line, I don't think you can just assume that Michael Dieter is going to have the light switch turn on for him from a technique perspective. I love Dieter coming out of the draft. And let me tell you, this will, this was, will not be the first time I was wrong on a guy's plug and play viability, and it won't be the last time either. Uh, the NFL draft is a pretty volatile beast as far as what you think you know and, and what is you know what comes to, to materialize as reality. Uh, I think Dieter has the ability to be a starting guard, and I think he has the ability to do so in a gap style system. Jesse Davis is not quite as physically dominant at the point of attack. Uh, I think if you're going to play power style he's probably better suited to play tackle than he is to play guard just because i don't think he has that raw power to reset the line of scrimmage with consistency that you want on the inside Uh, and then you get into some of his limitations in pass protection but if the dolphins run a lot of horizontal spacing and quick game and rpos and play action passing you can build that out around jesse davis and keep it functional so Uh, I don't think either one of them is a slam dunk if the Dolphins are going to go straight power rushing attack. To answer your question, Gareth. Uh, Question from Hugo. Other than getting players in-house to interview, do you see the coronavirus outbreak affecting the Dolphins and how they handle the draft? If football is postponed further than we imagine, will the Dolphins maybe take more or less risks with who they draft? This is an interesting question. Uh, I don't think we will have clarity on what the current social status is of this country by the end of April. Uh, I, I know everybody would love for life to just go back to normal, no questions asked. And it It's very difficult to project what this is going to look like. And I think that uncertainty isn't going to go away. I'm not qualified to, to make economic or or uh pandemic style predictions but i can tell you if i'm the miami dolphins i'm going to operate under the assumption that it's business as usual Uh, i i don't want to take guys on a ton of guys with red shirt ears unless you feel like there are starters already in house don't forsake the 2020 product for 2021 in the case of Tua specifically, I think Tua would benefit from the redshirt year anyway because I think Tua, you you need to get him comfortable with the idea of, heaven forbid, taking checkdowns, right? Can't go broke taking a profit. That's the big complaint that I have with Tua's film is there's too many times where he tries to make too much happen and it's just take the five-yard completion. Just get the ball out of your hand quick. The quicker that ball comes out, the better off you're going to be if the Dolphins are going to try and replicate this Alabama-style passing attack with horizontal spacing, power run concepts, with pass patterns tagged into that that you can run RPO-style work off of. First read is is obviously going to be open a lot over the middle of the field, which is why you saw Tua have so much success with slant patterns and and RPO specifically, and, and getting a ton of run after catch from Judy and Ruggs and, and Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddell. Um I think Miami, if they want to take Tua, that's your guy who, redshirt, let him learn from Fitz, kind of get him up to speed on what your expectations are. But the rest of these players, I would be drafting with the expectation that they are going to come in, they're going to contribute. This team wants to compete. But uh, it's kind of the great unknown right now that I don't think anybody really knows the answer to. Uh, question from David. Which of DeAndre Swift from Georgia, J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State, or Jonathan Taylor most suits chang system? Well, I could tell you what Jonathan, or Jordan Howard in the building, Jonathan Taylor's value to me is a little bit mitigated. He's a little bit too much of the same thing. Uh, I like Dobbins. Dobbins is my preferred back over Swift. Uh, Both are good in the pass game. Both are shorter, condensed, can be physical runners, but also have some springiness to them in in times in which they need to cut and vacate gaps quickly. Uh, It seems like the Dolphins lean towards Dobbins at this point too, so I would say Dobbins right now is the leader in the clubhouse. Derek Brewer. Considering the injury history of our wide receivers, why is it receiver? Why isn't receiver a priority in this draft? Uh, hashtag Chenult at eighteen. Well, this is a great question, but I would also counter with if you're worried about durability at wide receiver, Chennault's not the guy you should be tabbing. <laughs> Chennault has his fair share of injury issues as well. He had his twenty eighteen season. Uh, stamped out at the end of the year by injuries, and he had a groin issue that uh, negatively impacted his testing. He ran like 4.5.7 or 4.5.8, something like that. I was surprised he even tried to run because you knew coming into the combine, he had this groin issue going on for him. But I think it's a reasonable point to make that receiver and durability at receiver is not set in stone for the Dolphins. You've got Preston Williams with an ACL injury. Devontae Parker had a big breakout year, but has only been able to do it one out of five seasons. I think that's a reasonable point to make. Alan Hearns um, had an ugly leg break with the Dallas Cowboys and then a concussion last year. Jakeem Grants ended the last two seasons on injured reserve. Albert Wilson still on the roster, still recovering from the hip injury that cost him the second half of 2018. And I believe Albert Wilson's only played 16 games once, in like six years in the NFL. So yes, I I think receiver is still on the table for the Dolphins. It would be a surprise, especially early in the draft. But um, I think it is a great point that durability is is not somewhere that the Dolphins wide receivers can hang their hat. Brian Palmer, everyone's saying we will have to move up to three to get two. Is there a scenario you can see? or put together to keep five as well and get a top tackle to go along with him, maybe give up 18 and 26 and the second or third next year uh, to get a, a second trade up, assume, presumably into the top 10 is what Brian is insinuating. Yes, of course. And you know, I, I did this exercise a few weeks ago in which I took a quarterback at five, and uh, Carolina Panthers is a team that's, that signed Teddy Bridgewater, so they're probably out of the quarterback market. Would probably love to stack up a bunch of draft picks and load up on draft capital. And uh, Miami moving up to seven would put them in front of, you know, in a position to potentially get the third, second or third best offensive tackle in the class. Uh, the Giants are a team at four that you have to watch for offensive tackle. The Chargers at six are a team that you need to watch for offensive tackle. But Miami moving from 18 to seven would not be unheard of. And they certainly have the ammunition to do it if they chose to stay put at five. Uh, do I think that's realistic? I think it, I think it's an, a, a realistic scenario. Do I think it's likely? I don't know because if they're, if they're willing to move with those kinds of picks, you should probably move to guarantee you get your quarterback. As much as I, I'm not attracted to the idea of moving picks. I prefer to stay, stay put at five call everybody's bluff because I don't think the markets is hot. And I think the the question marks with Tua leave enough doubt that you could stay put at five and get your guy, regardless if your guy is Tua or Herbert or Love or somebody else. Uh, David Black, what's your opinion on the rest of the AFC East offseason so far, and who do you think wins the division? Right now, as much as it pains me to say, I do think the Buffalo Bills are the leaders in the clubhouse. Um They've got a good roster top to bottom. If Josh Allen can continue to improve to the point where he doesn't kill you and end possessions prematurely, adding Stephon Diggs should be good for them in a big play, explosive play perspective. Uh, The Bills are probably the most complete roster as of right now before the draft. Uh, The Patriots with good coaching and being able to bring back a lot of bodies courtesy of uh, Tom Brady not returning. You know They lost some key difference makers, Kyle Van Noy, Danny Shelton, Jamie Collins, uh, Ted Karras, Tom Brady. They lost some difference makers. But uh, if they're able to figure out the quarterback situation, I think they have enough on defense that they can win nine or ten football games. And depending on what they do at the quarterback position, it might even be higher than that. So I would say the Bills are the most complete team. The Patriots still with great coaching and bringing back a lot of guys that are ingrained in that culture. I expect they will be competitive, even if you know they, they may come up short in the clutch a few times that Tom Brady would have pulled it through for them. Uh, Dolphins and Jets, go ahead and flip a coin at this point. Uh, I think the Jets have more name brand value. Uh, I think the Dolphins have better coaching, and the Dolphins have a better impact, chance in the draft to improve their roster uh, to push them past the Jets. Brandon wants to know, what's our 2020 record with the following drafts? And he gave me two scenarios. Oh, geez. Draft A is Tua, Josh Jones, Cesar Ruiz, and Ashton Davis. Draft 2 is Justin Herbert, Andrew Thomas, J.K. Dobbins, Matt Hennessy, and Jeremy Chin. Wow. Uh, I really like... I <laughs> really like draft B. Um, Tua, I do think, is a better prospect than Herbert, but Thomas at left tackle. J.K. Dobbins is the second back with Jordan Howard. Matt Hennessy is a viable center. I don't think he's a great scheme fit for, for Miami wanting to play power style, but then getting Jeremy Chin on the back end. <clears throat> that's. That's a quarterback and three difference makers with one kind of quasi-scheme fit. I'd say that team's record is 7-9. and nine. Tua, Josh Jones, Cesar Ruiz, Ashton Davis. Ruiz is a home-run slam-dunk scheme fit. Josh Jones is not quite as much of a finished product as is Andrew Thomas. Tua I do think is a better quarterback prospect, but neither one of the quarterbacks probably play this year. So it kind of makes the 2020 record projection a moot point. And then Ashton Davis... Who played with Coach Alexander at Cal, uh, who's Miami's uh, a new coach on Miami staff? I'd say this team's probably give me give me eight and eight. So I think seven and nine, eight and eight, I think is realistic expectations for the Dolphins this year. Just because there's so much youth, there's so many new pieces. We're gonna continue to rip through another few questions here right before the end, including a, a good one from Egregious Philbin. That I'm looking forward to. Uh, but not before this brief pause for sponsor identifications to keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins. We'll be right back after this.
1: Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Welcome back. A few more fan questions here on Power to the Pod, the Pods show. This is the Pods pod. God, I love Dolphins puns. Stephen Harris, say a top-eight talent like Derrick Brown, for example, falls to 18, assuming we already took quarterback at five, would you make that the pick or take the best offensive tackle regardless? So this is this is a really good question to pair with yesterday's topic, which was the players uh, the, at offensive tackle. I did a, a big board for the Dolphins at offensive tackle. If any of the top four offensive tackles, which is Makai Becton, Andrew Thomas, uh, Tristan Wirfs, or Jedrick Wills, if any of those four falls to 18, I'm taking them over anybody else that's on the board. But if those four are gone, and Derek Brown, Isaiah Simmons, it won't happen, Jeff Akuda, it won't happen. But those guys are guys that are top eight talents to me on my personal draft board. If one of those guys falls to 18, yes. I'm taking best player available at 18, and then I'm transitioning to 26 to look, do I need to move up a little bit for an offensive tackle like Josh Jones? That you don't pass on a Derrick Brown, Jeff Okuda, or Isaiah Simmons in the scenario that one of them slid to 18. You do not draft on those players for Josh Jones, who is a developmental offensive tackle prospect, especially when you've got a pick again at 26 and plenty of capital the rest of the way that you can manipulate the board and jump up if you need to. Egregious Philbin. (laughs) You're Lindsay Lohan from Freaky Friday. Instead of turning into Jamie Lee Curtis, you've morphed into Steven Ross. To make a splash as your first day as Dolphins owner, you push the front office to sign Which? High-profile free agent to a contract of over $10 million per year annually. Man, of the guys that are left, I'm probably signing Logan Ryan. Brian Flores loves his defensive backs. He's going to love sub-packages. Logan Ryan has played outside. He's played inside at nickel. Continues to give you more versatility with good tackling defensive backs that can play man-to-man coverage and pressure looks when you need it. And his expectation, Logan Ryan's expectation is, is ten between $10 and $12 million per year. Of the guys who are left, if I woke up tomorrow and I'm Steven Ross, that's the guy I'm writing the check for. Good question. Great question. Larry Quick. Dolphins take a QB at 5. What would you package with 18 to move up to 7 for Carolina to get a top tackle? So this kind of piggybacks off the scenario we talked about earlier. What would I actually get? give in that trade proposal my proposal for carolina is i am not giving up a one this year and i'm not giving up 39 so i would i would propose to move up from 18 to 7 with carolina involving 56 my producer is going to pull up the trade value chart here make sure i'm I'm spitballing a reasonable proposition. So the 18th pick is worth 900 points according to the Jimmy Johnson trade value chart. The 7th pick is worth 1,500 points. So we have a 600-point discrepancy. If I'm Miami, I'm offering 56, which is worth 340 points. And next year's Houston Texans won, which if we assume it is a pick in the 20s let's call it worst case scenario that pick is worth is is the 20th pick in the draft that's 850 points but you have to discount that because it's a pick that's coming 12 months from now it's not an immediate return on investment so you cut that value mm, Approximately in half. So it's 425 points. The Panthers are winning that value by about 200 points, which is the equivalent of a mid third round pick. Carolina is getting with 56, 1856, and next year's Houston won to go from 18 to 7 to go get. Andrew Thomas, potentially Makai backed in, depending on who which one of these guys comes off the board. And that's a really good one-two punch, provided you stay at five. Is it a little bit of an overpay? Yes. But if you're trading into the top ten, traditionally you have to be losing out and giving more points than you're getting back. Trade value chart, a lot of fans look at trade value charts and their expectation is, all right, well, this pick's worth 1000 so put together a package that's worth 1000 Well, no, because you've got to incentivize the team to get out and not take the player. Very rarely will a team be so desperate to get out of a spot that they're going to take a one-to-one ratio. You've got to be willing to overpay and give team more value than they're giving up to prompt them to move out. So that's why you, know, you hear that proposition and you hear Carolina's getting the equivalent of about 200, 200, 250 extra points worth of picks. That's a pick that's somewhere between 68 and 75 in the, the point value chart. So they're getting an extra third round value in, in value in the total number of points for the picks. But uh, I think that's a misconception that is worth talking about. Anytime you're talking about a Dolphins trade up, they've got to overpay. That's just the nature of the beast. Reaction of Daniel Jeremiah, Move the Sticks, Dream Dolphins scenario being Tua, Ruggs, Austin, Jackson, Marlon, Davidson, and Lloyd Cushenberry. Parker, Ruggs, Williams, and Gaseki would be really fun. Yes, it would, Jack Cummins. Great question. I would get Tua and Ruggs. I understand why. And I understand why Marlon, Davidson is a good scheme fit for the Dolphins based on The style of defense that they're going to run, you know, big, heavy hands, long arms, not necessarily bendy off the edge. You get a lot of like the same Emmanuel Agba, Shaq Lawson style return on Marlon Davidson. Lloyd Cushenberry, plug and play center, in my opinion. Will he be there at 56? Probably, maybe not. But if he's there at 56, yes. Austin Jackson... At 26, as Daniel puts it, is a little rich for me. This is like I talked about yesterday on the podcast talking offensive tackles. But again, I get it. I understand why the Dolphins would be willing to work with a mauler with good athleticism and coach him up on the technique side of things. Would it be my dream combination? No. My dream combination would be very different. Maybe we'll talk about that tomorrow. I want to keep this line moving get a couple more of these. Uh, questions in here. Uh, Cliffy Mac, this is an interesting question. Is there an honor system when it comes to draft day trades, or can teams just make up phony deals to swindle another team? I believe there is fail-safes in place and documentation that can be required so that you can't just BS and lie and say, oh, well, I got the Chargers on the phone, and they're offering me three first-round picks to move up two spots. I don't think that's... Um, I don't think that's standard operating procedure for the NFL. Uh, D. Wildermuth, would you trade for Deshaun Watson? Hell yes, I would. What would you offer? I'll give you. I'll give the Houston Texans their first-round picks back. How's that? I'll give you 26 next year's one, next year's two, and I'll give you another one this year too. You get three first-round picks in a second. I can't imagine Bill O'Brien's actually that dumb. Jared, is Jameis Winston a possible consolation prize if we miss out on the QB in the draft or trade down? No. The the Jameis Winston... uh, I've got a couple of questions about Winston over the last 48 hours, and I know he's out there, and I know he threw for 5,000 yards, but the man was responsible for 35 turnovers last year. And his turnover rate was worse and an offense with Bruce Arians that was as good of a scheme fit as you're possibly going to get for this guy. Uh, I think Jameis's ship has probably sailed, and uh, as some icing on the cake here, Jameis's strengths is pushing the ball vertically down the field. Uh, the Dolphins will be running much more of a horizontal spacing uh, modern spread under Gailey, from what, all indications seem to suggest. So I would go ahead and put a nail in Jameis Winston of the Dolphins. Uh, not, not a move I would endorse, not a move that I'd be supportive of You know, if they cho- chose to go that direction. We'd have to wait and see how it goes, but I would not be excited about that move, and I don't think he's worth the money that he's going to expect. I didn't get a few of these. Keep an eye on dolphinswire.com. Uh, If I did not get to your question, odds are I'm probably going to use it for some written content over the next day or so. Uh, So really appreciate you guys bringing compelling Dolphins talking points to the table. I am Kyle Krabs, Locked On Dolphins. Appreciate you guys tuning in, listening. Do me a favor, hit subscribe. Keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins. And we'll be back again tomorrow. I think I'll go through my dream scenario tomorrow, courtesy of Daniel Jeremiah and the inspiration. So... Keep, look forward to that tomorrow. We're going to talk whatever news comes down the pipe this afternoon. Kyle Krabb signing off. Thanks, as always, for listening to Locked on Dolphins.
1: Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked on NFL Draft Podcast.